Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good morning, church. I love you guys. It's good to be here. It's good to be in church. It's good to be at Oaks Church. Excited to continue this series, Kingmaker. You know, as we've been talking about how God has been a kingmaker to David, I want you to notice something very important as well. God is in the process of doing the same thing for you. And it might not be as king, it might not be as queen, but God has chosen you, he's called you, he's entrusted you, God's enabled you. You know you're not doing this alone, you're not just here on accident, but you are here for a specific time, and a specific purpose, and I think as we look at the life of David, it's not just for his benefit, but it's for our benefit. It's for your benefit. And today I wanna look at his last words specifically. And I think last words are important. Think about what you would say if you knew when your last day was gonna be. That's something that none of us are thrilled about or looking forward to, but if you knew when your last day would be, what would you say? Who would you talk to? What would you do? And David is an old man by now. Man, I'm gonna correct myself. He wasn't old, he's middle-aged. He's uh, at the end of his 40-year reign. Uh, he's 70, he's 70 years old at this time. I know, I stand corrected. Normally I don't put my foot in my mouth. All right. But he's tended sheep, he's defeated giants, he's excelled as a king, he's become a hero to the people. At the same time, he's committed horrific sins that he wished that he could forget about. He's raised some good kids. He's raised some bad kids. And yet the whole time in his reign, God talks about David and he said, here's a man after my own heart. So in his last Psalm, what does David say? 2 Samuel 23 verse one says, these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. As you can tell, David's kind of a big deal. He keeps talking about himself in third person. But then he says this in verse two, he says, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. And then the God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. And then David is introspective and he says, is it not my family that God has chosen? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me and his agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and success. But you guys didn't know the word success was in the Bible. I think as we look at the life of David, as we look at this passage, I see three things. I see number one, that God chose David. The second thing is that God encourages David. The third thing is that God enables David. 
I think in the same way God is choosing you, he's encouraging you. You know God hasn't left you alone. He doesn't leave you alone to do this on your own, but he, if you listen to his still, small voice, you can hear him, and he's there to encourage you in the calling that he has for you. The third thing, God has enabled you. You know, you might feel like the task is too big for you, but if God's called you to it, it's not too big. It is too big for you, but it's not too big for you with him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you speak. God, I ask you for the gift of ears to hear, eyes to see, and a willing heart to understand. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, anyone in here have a, a fan club? You have a fan club? Um, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're a big fan of somebody else. You're a fan of their work. You're a fan of their personality. You just think that they're all that. You respect them. You admire them. I don't mean like a fan club for a pop star. I just mean people in your life that are rooting you on, that think better of you sometimes than you think of yourself. For instance, I have four people. I know that's not a lot. I have four primary, my mom just looked at me funny, four primary people in my fan club. Three of them are my wife, Angel, my mom and dad. Oh, not yet, y'all, not yet. Don't spoil the surprise. You already did, man. <laughs> Wrist slap. The three of them, my, mom, my wife, my mom, my dad. Okay, those are people that are rooting for me they're encouraging me. At times, they uh, get to correct me and make me better. You guys have some people in your life that tell you things that you need to hear that you don't wanna hear. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, my mom and my dad, I think they've read my book four to five times each. If your mom and dad don't love your work, not many people are gonna love your work, okay? It starts, it starts there. But one of the people that I listen to a lot on his podcast, he says this, he says that when you are young, when you're young in your career, you're young in your occupation, whatever it is, you need someone who believes in you. It's called a king maker. You need somebody who has leverage. You need somebody who has influence. You need somebody that has a say in what actually happened who believes in you. And you know this, those of you, when you're young, whether you're young now or you used to be young, and you remember those times that you didn't believe in yourself that much, and here's the hard part, some other people didn't believe in you as well, but you might have had one or two people and they saw something specific in you that other people didn't see. The fourth person in this fan club is our pastor, your pastor, my pastor, Pastor Joel. I remember I was a senior in high school, I was 18 years old, and I had just started to speak. I knew I was called to ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. I was literally scared witless whenever I spoke. I remember the very first time I spoke, we were at a retreat, we were at a camp. I was speaking right after breakfast in a cafe, not the most welcoming audience uh, for your first time. They just finished up some pancakes and some omelets, and they're ready for their main entertainment. Right, no, it was my very first time, and I was so nervous, but I remember over that year, we had uh, chapels, because I went to a small Christian school in Carrollton, Texas, and we had Bible class five days a week, 
And then we had chapel, we had service one day a week. We had Bible six out of the possible seven times a week. They were trying to make sure that we were saved, even though there were definitely some hellions there. I don't think everybody there was saved. Um, but I remember that year specifically, uh, we would always have campus youth pastors, people like Pastor Joel, a man named Pastor Kevin, and they would speak at our chapels. But this year specifically, we had a group of high school seniors, myself included, me and four other people, that we actually took the mic. And we started speaking. And I can guarantee you, we probably weren't that good. <laughs> but we were given a shot. We were given a room to succeed, room to fail. But I remember any time that I was speaking, similar to today, Pastor Joel, it was his day off, right? Like he didn't have to be there. He's speaking today at a great church in Idaho. But I remember towards the end of the year, it was March or April, and I was speaking again, and he was there that time. And I remember after I spoke, he came up to me and he invited me to lunch. I thought I was the cool kid on campus. He literally, he picked me up in his silver Toyota Suzuki, little Japanese car, and we drove over about 10 minutes, and we went to this great Asian culinary experience called Payway. It was actually my first time at Payway. We didn't have a Chinese at our house, and I didn't know what I was missing. But I remember when I came to this lunch, I don't remember what I ordered. I don't remember what I ate or drank, but I do remember I had this journal. It was a red spiral, and I had prepared for this lunch, and I had written questions because I said, I got an hour with Pastor Joel. I want to see what he knows that I need to know. And I was a little bit, you look at a, for instance, like that, there's not a lot of 18-year-olds that are doing that, so I can see now it's a little bit intense, but I wanted to be better, I wanted to be a good leader, and uh, that, at that lunch on the way back to school, he said, you know what, if you're going to be in town, why don't you let me train you? Why don't you intern with me, and I'll show you the ropes of ministry? You know, over the years... He saw something, me extended an invitation, but over and over in my life, he's loved me, he's trained me, he's corrected me, he corrected me the other day, it hasn't stopped. <laughs> gave me a chance, gave me room to succeed, given me room to fail. He's seen the gold in me. Andrew Carnegie was a master at identifying leadership potential in the people around him. One time he was asked by a reporter, they said, Andrew, Mr. Carnegie, how did you manage to hire 43 millionaires in your company? How did you get that kind of talent, that kind of people in your company? And Andrew looked at him. He said, they weren't millionaires when they started working for me. They became millionaires after they started working for me. And the reporter followed up with another question. She said, well, what did you do to develop these men to become such valuable leaders? And Carnegie replied, men are developed the same way that gold is mined. Several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But you don't go into the mine looking for dirt. You go in looking for gold. Who are the people in your life that had the gold? Who are the people in your life that they might be surrounded by dirt, they might be overlooked 
not picked first. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. But who are the people in your life that you see something in that you can invest in? You know this life is not all about what I can get for me. It's not about getting. It's about giving. It's not about what I receive. It's about what can I impart, what can I leave in others. And you're not too old, you're not too young. When we led youth ministry for a number of years, I would have trained 13 and 14-year-olds in their small group to start investing in 12-year-olds, 16-year-olds to start investing in 14-year-olds. And I would train youth speakers, student speakers, and they weren't all that great at the time. They had some dirt around them. They were a little bit messy, but guess what? They had some gold in there. And they just needed somebody to take the time to start digging away at the excess dirt and pull the potential out of them. Who are the people in your life that are waiting on you to see the greatness in them? I love what it says in Jesus, about Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse one. said, by this time, the crowd, unwieldy and stepping on each other's toes, numbered into the thousands. But Jesus' primary concern was his disciples. I love that. There is this huge crowd around him. Crowds that got as big as 35, 40,000 around this man, no microphone, has to get creative, get in places where they can hear his voice, where his voice echoes coming to him, surrounded by people, but they weren't his primary concern. His small core group was his primary concern. Will you be the person in your life that doesn't just look at the crowd, but looks at the small core group of people that you can disciple? Who is your group? I firmly believe that we should do for others what God did for David, what God is doing for you. When I look at his life, I see these three things on how God was a kingmaker to David, how God is a kingmaker to you. Number one, you've heard this before, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. God chose David. You know, if there was an election in Israel, and they were voting for a king, you know David wouldn't have even been on the ballot. He wouldn't have won the position as king. See, Saul was the people's king. He was the man that looked like a king. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was the people's king, but guess what? David was God's king. David was God's first choice. His first choice was somebody that nobody even looked at. See, you could feel overlooked, you could feel dismissed, you could feel discouraged, but that doesn't mean anything. What is God saying about you? God chose David. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. It says, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who are powerful. He chooses the foolish things of the world in order to confound the wise. One of the great preachers of the last 100 years, maybe ever, is a man that most of you have heard of, Billy Graham. 
Billy Graham, Graham hold, held huge crusades that were evangelistic in nature. He preached for 58 years, from the year 1947 to 2005. He held 417 large crusades in 185 countries and six continents. 3.2 million people were led to the Lord to salvation under his ministry. He was a pastor to presidents, a friend of sinners, and a light to the world. But guess what? He didn't start out that way. You know, Billy Graham was actually a college uh, dropout. He was a, not just any college, he was a Bible school dropout. He had a conversation with the director of their school, and the director looked Billy in the eye. He said, you're never gonna amount to anything. At most, you'll be a poor preacher out in the country, out in the sticks. That's the most you'll do. Billy moves, obvious choice, right? He moves to Tampa, Florida, goes to another Bible school, has a little bit more success at this Bible school, falls in love with a really pretty girl. They date, they get engaged. But while they're planning the wedding, his fiance comes up to him and says, Billy, I really wanna marry somebody who has a clear focus in life, somebody that's going to amount to something. You're not that. I wanna break up. Billy's dejected, lost heart. One day he's strolling a golf course. He's on the 18th hole, falls to his knees, looks to heaven. He said, God, if you want me, you got me. I'll be who you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. And he started practicing preaching because nobody wanted to hear him. He started practicing preaching in the nearby swamps, started preaching to the trees, started preaching to the frogs, started preaching to the alligator way over there because I don't trust them up close preached at the trailer parks, preached at a couple small churches that would have them on an off night. But after that, he went to his third college. He went to Wheaton College near Chicago. You gotta give it to Billy. If there's one thing he didn't do, he didn't give up. But one night, one of the girl students overheard him praying in the next room. And she said to herself, wow, this man knows who he's talking to. That girl was a girl named Ruth. Ruth dated Billy, they got married, the rest is history. Here's the point, God chooses insignificant people to do significant things. God chooses insignificant people to do significant things. Here's the reality, a lot of us in here, if we were picking somebody for a position, somebody to do something great, wouldn't choose us, because nobody sees the flaws in you like you do, and we can be so concerned, concerned or consumed with what others are thinking about us, but as you know, others don't really think about you that much. They don't think about you near as much as you think about you. 
See, part of you being chosen is you accepting the assignment. It's not just God choosing you, it's you accepting the assignment on your life. I think that's where we learn in Matthew 22, verse 14, it says, many are called, but few are chosen. See, every single person that God created has a calling and a destiny on their life. But few say yes to God. Few deem themselves qualified because they're not, but they don't say yes to God. Many are called, few are chosen. See, regardless of whether you see what God sees in you, realize he chose you. Even if man doesn't, even if your family doesn't, even if your friends don't see it, God does. The second thing I see in David's life is God encourages us to see what he sees, not what others say. This is so important. When you step out in faith to follow God, there's always somebody around you to discourage you. Have you noticed you can have this big dream, this great idea, and you talk about it, and they're not even listening, they're on their phone. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Or maybe they listen to you, say that's great, never do anything with it. See, David's own brothers got angry at him when he talked about fighting Goliath. Just talked about it. David was about to do a feat that would be talked about for thousands of years that we still talk about. And his brothers discouraged him, said, why are you doing this? You are not the man for the job. Look at you, you're not ready. You're not even in the army. Joseph had a dream from God. It was a dream that was too big for him. See, if your dream is too big for you, guess what? That's God's dream for you. God's not gonna give you some dream that you can accomplish on your own. God's not gonna give you a dream that doesn't require faith. God's not gonna ask you to do something wild, outrageous, and not have a little faith, right? God isn't about comfortable. He's not about easy. Man, I wish he was sometimes. He's not about that. He's about stretching you. You know, growth isn't comfortable. If you've had a really comfortable last few years, I hate to be the one to break it to you, you're not growing, right? No, a lot of us are stretched. We can be uncomfortable. We're being stretched in different ways that are growing us. But Joseph had a dream, but his brothers hated him. They lied about him. They did what not a lot of brothers do, they sold him into slavery. Moses' executive team, his brother and his sister, criticized him, dishonored him, said, you're, you know what, you're not the only one God talks to. Even Jesus' earthly family misunderstood him at times and opposed him, and if it happened to Jesus, it'll happen to you. If it happened to Jesus, it'll happen to you. Even Jesus said, if they hated me, Man, if they hated God, guess what? They're gonna hate you too. The painter Vincent Van Gogh made an enlightening comment one time. He was criticized for his vision. He was criticized for the paintings that he was painting because it wasn't like what everybody else was doing. But he said they call a painter mad if he sees with other eyes than what they have. 
Just because you don't see the way that I see and you criticize me, that, that's what they call crazy. You know, your affirmation shouldn't come from people. It should come from God. And you've probably heard that statement a million times, but do you live like it? Do you live and die by what other people say? By what your boss says? By what your annual review says? By what your kids say on an off day? Do you, do you live and die by that? Your affirmation shouldn't come from people. Because as you know by now, people will disappoint you. And guess what? No one can live up to it. Everybody is flawed. Your pastors are flawed. Your leadership is flawed. If you want to find a reason to be upset, you can. <laughs> it can be easy. But your affirmation should come from God. What if you see what he sees? You know, if you change what you see, you'll change where you go. If you change what you see, you'll change where you go. Have you ever wondered or noticed how two people can see the same exact thing and have a totally different experience? There's people that came to church today and you had a wonderful experience in worship. Like, wow, I can really feel the Lord moving. Like, this is something. There's other people like, eh, heard better. Some of you are really digging this message right now. Others of you are like, ah, oh, man, what am I gonna eat? Pulling out your phone, texting your spouse. Hey, we should go here for lunch. If you change what you see, you'll change where you go. There were two brothers they were both raised by an alcoholic father. One of the brothers grew up to be an alcoholic and when asked what happened, he said, I watched my father. The other one never drank once, sober his whole life, and when asked what happened, he said, I watched my father. Two people saw the same thing, went totally different ways, because of their vision of what they were looking at. You know, my dad's parents, and it's not my notes, but it just worked so well. My dad's parents split up when he was in adolescence, I think 11, 12, 13. Two siblings, the oldest sibling, I believe, is, I think he's 70 by now. He's dated a bunch of people and been engaged before, but never married. Saw what happened to his parents, said, that's not gonna happen to me. My dad, on the other hand, said the same exact thing, that's not gonna happen to me, and my parents have been married for, I've lost count, that's how you know it's a good marriage, 43, 44 years. I could be totally off. <laughs> how many? Wow, I haven't been counting the last few years. <laughs> Man, you're, you're getting up there. Three more to go. Three more to go. Your perspective will determine your future. Your perspective will determine your future. You know, men and women of faith obey God no matter what the experts are saying. If the crowd is saying this is the smart choice and God is saying this is the smart choice or your Bible is saying this is the way it was designed, I got news for you. That's not the right side. See, when you live like you're gonna answer, or let me just say this, at the end of your life, you're not gonna answer to people. You're gonna answer to God. 
And you have to live in a way that you remember that that's who you're answering to, that that's who you're trying to please is God. You know, if you're trying to please God, I can almost bet 100% you'll please your spouse. If you're trying to please God, I can almost tell you, you know what, you're, you're probably a much better parent than you think you are. You know, your Bible doesn't tell you where to work. It just tells you how to work. It tells you who to work for. It says work, don't, not, don't work for people. Realize that when you're working, you are working for Jesus. Well, Brandon, you haven't seen my boss. This dude ain't Jesus. He's Lucifer. He's a, he's a horrible boss. He should have been the fourth boss on that movie, Horrible Bosses. My boss is that guy. No, not my boss, anyway. Your boss, yeah, okay. But what if you worked in such a way? Next time that you're offended, next time they tick you off, next time they correct you, what if you just remember, you know what, I'm, I'm just gonna work for Jesus, because I obviously can't work for them. And honestly, even if you're having a great experience, you should remember you're working for Jesus. See, I don't do this for people. If I did it for people, I'd probably never come up here. But I do it for God. I do it because God's called me to. And here's the reality. I can't grade what I do up here based on what I hear or see from what the crowd says or, or does. I can't. Because if we live by other people's praise, then you're gonna die by their criticism. But if remember, if we remember at all times, I'm doing this for God, then you're living for the approval of one, not the approval of many. God encourages us to see what he sees, not what others say. The third and final point is God uses people who are weak to show us he is strong. God enabled David. You know, the most shocking thing to me about David is that David, call, excuse me, that God calls this man a man after my own heart. David cheats on his wives. I said wives, not wives. Had eight wives. I'm not sure how that works. Cheated on his wife, tried to cover it up, kills a man, but not just any man. Uriah wasn't just a normal dude. Uriah was listed as one of the 30, as one of David's mighty men. Uriah was in David's small core group. And David killed the man. But yet we read in scripture, it says, but David was a man after God's own heart. What? You know, I think the reason that David is called that by God is because when he did fall, he always turns back to the same person, turns back to God. Whenever he sins, whenever he horrifically messes up, whenever he kills somebody, whenever he was corrected, he always repented. See, repent just means to turn. He just turned back to God. You know, David knew he was weak. 
Over and over in Psalms, he calls himself poor in spirit to the one who is rich in spirit. Say, God, I need you. Oftentimes, God, I don't even see what you see in me. I don't know why you called me to this. I don't know why my family is chosen above other families. But from the very get-go, David wasn't doing it for a king, a country. He was always doing it for God's glory. And he knew he needed God. See, Jesus was telling a story one time, and I'll close with this. And he said, which is better? Two men came to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. One was a quote-unquote pastor, and the other was a corrupt IRS worker. And the Pharisee, the pastor, started praying to God. He said, thank God. I'm not like those other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I am certainly better than this guy. But the corrupt tax collector is standing in the back, doesn't lift his eyes to heaven, but just beats his chest in sorrow. Say, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. Jesus said, which one is better? The one that needed him, the one that realized his need for him. You know, your weakness is not a limit when his strength is your capacity. Your weakness isn't a limit. Your weakness does not predicate how far you're gonna go in life. Your frailty, your mental health, the doubts in your mind, that's not your limit. See, you don't have a limit if you're leaning on the one that doesn't have any limits. Your weakness is not a limit when his strength is your capacity. Because guess what, God chose you he is encouraging you. And even right now, he's enabling you for the task at hand. He's enabling you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, right now, just all across the sanctuary, we just introspectively look at our relationship with you. And God, we just humbly say that we need you. God, I need you. God, I thank you for calling me. I thank you for choosing me. I thank you for encouraging me. I thank you for enabling me. Come on, say that with me. God, I thank you for choosing me. I thank you for encouraging me. I thank you for enabling me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in the room, and you've been far from God or you wanna make a fresh decision, say, God, I need you. I've been doing this on my own. I know I need to do better and I wanna make a decision to follow you and be a Christian. I'm not gonna follow you perfectly, but I can follow you faithfully. Everybody in the room, you'll say this, say, God. Come on, say, God. 
I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you died, that you rose again, that you lived a perfect life, if only for me. Holy Spirit, fill me, guide me, lead me. I am saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed, you're in the room, you made that decision for the first time. Maybe you made that decision and you've made it before, but today was a fresh decision and you're in the room. Will you just lift your hand just for me to see anybody in the room? All right, if you're online, you made that decision, we would love to connect with you. Email us to EMS, you can email us at info at oakschurch.com. God, right now we just give you all the praise, we give you all the glory. And Lord, in this Thanksgiving week, we just say that we are thankful, we are grateful for you. We give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.